Open up your Bibles, if you will, to Psalm, Psalm 78. We started a new series last week, and the series is called Limited, Unlimited. And we looked at a lot of different verses that show God's character toward humanity. Many times people think, um, if I get all my ducks in a row and everything's just right, God's going to do something good for me, then he'll move and then he'll do something if I get everything squared away myself. Well, if you were here last week, we looked and, you know, have you ever seen that show, I don't know if it's on TV or just the internet, called Mythbusters. Anybody ever seen that? You know, people make all kinds of claims, and then they try to see if the claim is true or not. And some of the claims are true, and some of them are not. You know, I remember one time on there, they uh, got like a high-powered rifle and shot it into the water, you know, uh, to to show how far it would go because if you ever watch the movies and people are, you know, hiding under the water and they get shot and they get killed, you know, and you're like, whoa. So they did this and with like an AK-47, it only went a few feet and stopped. Not true. But we've all watched the movies and we know it's not a good place to dive under the water when bullets are flying because you're toast, right? Because Hollywood told us that, so it's got to be true. Right? I mean, flat out. If they told us in the movies, you know, and that's how people die, too. Like, they're like, hey, oh, you know, they've been shot in the heart. Oh, for like 10 minutes, they're able to tell all this stuff. Then they go, I'm going. <laughs> so when you get to the side of the road, if you're in a situation, you'll know exactly what it looks like when, no, it's not how it is. And Hollywood is not always right. And sometimes people have an opinion about God that's not always right. And they think, well, if I get everything perfect, you know, and Christians are this way. If I get everything perfect, then stuff, you know, then God's going to love me. Then God, we know God is love. We know he loves us, but he really doesn't deep down until I'm perfect. That's what a lot of people really think, whether they agree or not, you know, because you can tell by how they act. Because they'll condemn themselves until they're perfect in their own eyes. Thank you. Psalm 78. So we talked about this last week about how God's character is really love. It's extending himself toward humanity. Wanting to do good for man. Providing for man. And a lot of times people don't realize this. And they approach the whole thing wrong. And it does hinder God. Notice Psalm 78. And we're going to begin reading again in verse 41. And this is kind of our kickoff thing. It says this, verse 41. Yes, again and again, they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Let me read that again. Yes, again and again. This means multiple times this has occurred. What was it that occurred? Well, some people would say, well, what happened was they tempted God and they limited the Holy One of Israel. The only way you can limit something, you know, if, if I'm holding on to you from running and you say, you're limiting my progress, then that means if I am limiting you, that means you're trying to move. 
Otherwise, if I'm holding on to you and you're sitting in the chair next to me and not, you know, trying to get up, you would never say you're limiting me. Would you? No, not until you try to make a move, then you say you limited me. And then if you tried to make a move again and I'm holding on to you, you could say this again and again. So we don't know how many times God attempted to do something for these people and it says, but it happened again and again. He was trying. And it said, they limited the Holy One of Israel. And I know that's a crazy statement to people because they, you know, it's taught that God is so powerful and God is in control and everything that happens to you is God's will. But here they are, God's trying to do good in their life, trying to get good in their life. And it said they personally possessed the ability to limit him. They did. And I know that's crazy, but we know, I mean, it doesn't take much, you know, like we went through bunches of things last week, how the children of Israel, God said, I've given you, not I'm going to, I've given you the land. Go up at once and possess it right now. They said, we cannot do it. We are grasshoppers. They had this image of themselves of not, you know, being what God said they were. And they did not go up and possess the land that God was purposing and extending his ability and strength for them to walk in. And it said, we can't do it. They limited God. We read a verse where Jesus said, uh, you know, woe unto you, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and those who are sent to you. In other words, we talked about that. God sent people to them because he loved them. He sent prophets to them because he loved them. He said, you who kill those who are sent to you. God kept extending himself in love to them, but they kept opposing it. And then Jesus in the next verse said, how often, so that means more than once, how often? If I said, I did that twice, would you think that was often? No. You know, I know people talk like that. Somebody does something one time, maybe t twice. They're like, you always do that. I'll tell you, you always do that. No, you are exaggerating. And so we see that Jesus said, how often I would have gathered you, showing his love toward the people. But he said, you would not. He was attempting, he kept doing stuff and extending himself toward them. And, he, and what did the Bible say? You would not. So that means they hindered him. They limited him. I know that sounds strange, but it's true, and we all know it from this, because did Jesus die and love everybody in the world and die for everybody, no matter how wicked they were? His love is extended through his death and burial. And then in all reality, all the sins that any Christian would ever commit after he was saved was already paid for too. And how many people reject that and beat themselves up? And others go, well, I don't want that. 
And so he has extended himself by his love and by his mercy, but they do not. They would not. You with me? And so notice this. They limited the Holy One of Israel. Now he's about to tell you how they limited him and what internal things were occurring that were limiting him from being able to do what he wanted to do. You know, and there are a lot of people who pray, God, you know, I want this. And they're, they're praying like, I want this more than you. No, you don't. No, no, you don't. I want this so bad, God, you don't know. Uh, no, you don't know. Because he wants it for you. Worse than you want it for you, because it took Jesus to pay for it. Whatever it is, he bought it. I know a lot of people think all he bought was forgiveness of sin. That's just not even close to the truth. And so when people are like, God, you don't know how bad I want this. I need this. You know, I'm tired of this. You know who you're talking to? When you say, well, I, I, you just don't know. Or as if you want it more than he wants it for you. No. He wants things in your life for you worse than you want them. But notice it said they limited, and in the context you could read, they limited him again and again. He kept making attempts, showing his character. They limited the Holy One of Israel. And then it says this, they did not remember his power. How did they limit him? They quit remembering his power. The day when he redeemed them from the enemy. And it goes through this chapter and talking about these different times when God had done great things and extended his power. And it said that they would forget about that. Well, what were they thinking on? We know from the context, they were thinking on the problem. They were imagining the ability of the problem. They were focusing on the wrong thing. We know that life can be full of sorrows and things like that that come. But if you're not careful, if you overly focus on things, there's a scripture that talks about being swallowed up by too much sorrow. And you know why that happens? Because people focus on the problem so much they can get swallowed up by so much sorrow. Everything's going wrong for me. They're not even factoring God into the equation. Thank you for that excitement. But it's the truth. They don't, they don't factor God into the equation. Our country, it's done for. Are we not factoring God into the equation? Oh, but it's the end time. I, I was telling Sean the other day, I read him an article, uh, uh, and I don't have it with me, about, you know, drunkenness, and it was an article of these different things happening, and, you know, rampant homosexuality, and all this violence and everything, and it's just commonplace, and all these things, and, and uh, I read him the date, it was written in 1750-something.
And, and But if you don't know history, you think, what in the world? The police were corrupt back then. It goes through this list of stuff. And that's when John Wesley came on the scene. You say, who's John Wesley? Uh, he was a guy that God used to shake a whole nation and a few other guys, and the whole nation changed. And then things all of a sudden became what was sin was sin. People who were drunk were getting free, and the whole nation changed. But if we don't factor God, all we'll do is just talk death and focus on the problem, and we're not even factoring God's ability. Like, you know, he knows he's coming soon, so he's just folding up this tent, you know, kind of packing up, getting ready to leave. He's busy re getting ready to come back, so he's not going to do anything. No, the issue is they limited him. And there are warnings when we get to the end of time that you don't get full of worry. Watching the things that are coming into the world. Why would there be a warning about worry and things like that? Well, Jesus, you know, he died for all. It said he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Think about it. He came to his own. He tried, but as many as received him, he gave them the ability to become children of God. So there was a cooperation there. I'm going to turn to, in my Bible, Matthew 6, and if you have a Bible, it'd be good to, to turn there. We talked about this a little bit on prayer at prayer Friday morning, but I'm going to talk about this again today, about God's care toward man and uh, how to, you know, unlimit things in our life. If God is purposing for good, how, did God ever destine for there to be any death and any pain and any sorrow and any hurting words to condemn anybody? Was there any of that ever intended in God's original design? Any death, any pain, any poverty, any ill, any harm? No. No. And uh, so we recognize the God side then of how he designed and made things. And when the devil is finally removed, all of a sudden there is no more pain. There is no more sorrow. There is no more sickness. And there is no more of this. So we see how God is. You with me? We see how God is. That's important to know how God is because sometimes when we see problems, we don't think God is good and we don't think God is for us. And maybe if I'm good enough or maybe this or maybe that, and then I can hit the numbers and I'm going to be blessed. But what we need to recognize is God is constantly attempting in various ways and through different means, and anybody who would inquire of him, he would work to get good into their life. You with me? And he endeavors to do that. And so in Matthew 6.25, that's why it says they would not. Some people just refuse God and refuse God and refuse God, and then they don't recognize, well, what's going on? But then there are people who start yielding to God and start yielding and don't see all the good benefits yet. And then they think, what's going on? And they forget that there's something called seed time and harvest. 
And God wants to make a crop of good things to come your way. And it's his design. And he set it up like that. Matthew 6, 25. We're going to begin reading here. Uh, Matthew 6, not Mark 6, if that's where you're at with me. Matthew 6, 25. It says, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body. Got a problem in your body? What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. That's a question. In other words, we would say, is, isn't life more than finances and stuff? Well, well, yeah, it is, but isn't all that stuff pretty big? Necessary? You know, if you don't have clothes, you can get in trouble. And, and in our situation, a lot of people need transportation to get to work. And then he goes on to say this. Life is more than this, but it doesn't mean this isn't part of life. What he's trying to do is say there's a priority here. There's something bigger than this. It's not that this stuff is not involved in life. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, well, this stuff is not involved. He said, but true life is more than this. Notice, it doesn't say it excludes this. It doesn't say it excludes this. It's beyond this. That stuff is a part of everybody's life. But beyond that, there's more. You with me? And he said, look at the birds of the air, and they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. In other words, you know, they're dressed nicely, they're provided for. He said, your heavenly, notice he didn't say their heavenly father. Why? Because he's trying to get you to understand the care of God for you. He said, your heavenly father feeds them. Notice right thereafter it says, but not you. No, it doesn't say that. He's your heavenly. Wouldn't we think it's strange if your earthly dad fed the wild animals and the birds in the neighborhood but wouldn't feed you? Would we say he's a good father? Will we sing a song, he's a good father? You know, we sing he's a good God, but then we go, God's not providing. Or is he attempting, but we're actually violating a principle, and just like they limited him, could we limit him, and he's still attempting, because he's trying to tell you, look, I take care of the birds, you can go outside. You know, I mean, they're not stacking up on my porch dying. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Are birds more valuable to God than you if you are his child? 
That's the question. And it's really doesn't need to be asked, but he's asking, are you not more valuable than a bunch of birds? Then notice this, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? This statement right here is huge. Why? Because we can look around and look at all these things that have provision and they're provided for by God through his system of the way he made the earth. And he said, are you not of more value? And then he asks you this, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature or to his height? In other words, who by worrying can add 18 inches to himself? I'm just trying to look around the crowd to see who's worrying because they're going to look like Pinocchio in a second, but it's not with their nose. They're just going to sprout up. <laughs> no, you've never... I mean, could you, could you imagine... We know lots of people who worry. Worry, 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 worry. And you're not walking around going, bam, I hit my head on the door. Oh, it's worrying again. You know, on the door frame because you just keep getting taller and taller. No, no. That's stupid, pastor, to think if you worry you're going to get taller. In other words, you're not going to change your physical being by worry. So the very next part, he says this. So why do you worry? In other words, if worrying doesn't change anything, why do you worry? If worrying doesn't change anything, why do you worry? That's a real good question. If worrying doesn't do anything to change a circumstance, why do you worry? It's a good question. And in the context, it's profound. In other words, can you change something by worrying? No. How many people worry? And how many times have people said this? Well, if you really cared, you'd worry. You mean you didn't even worry? And the context is when you're facing the wall, so to speak, or the problem. And it's interesting, which of you by worrying, and, and Jesus is asking this, can change his height or change circumstances? Nobody. So why do you worry? Because that's what you do. That's, that's what you're supposed to do. Is worry constructive or destructive? So the question is, why do we worry? Because I got a problem. But that's not a good reason, because worry won't change the problem. 
This is going over real good, just like the other day. Um, which of you, by worrying, can change anything? So, verse 28, so why do you worry? What is it to worry? It's to deeply ponder on a situation that's facing you, that's not positive. You're needing a supply, and you don't see the supply, whatever the supply is, whatever the area is, and you ponder on it so much so in a negative way. You see it not happening. You see it getting worse. You've seen it going down. He said that doesn't fix anything, so why do you do that? Now, I don't know about you, but if you went and let's say you had a Ford, and, uh, you know, your oil light went on and you had a need for oil, so you just added water because that's all you had. A little bit of soda, Dr. Pepper. It's about the same color. Pour it in there. Then you go to the dealership in there and you're like, I don't know why it's all messed up and why I got all these problems. And they're like, there's some kind of strange substance in there. Oh, yeah, that's Dr. Pepper and a little bit of water. Uh, your car was not made to run on that. I suggest you don't do that anymore because it's destructive. Yeah, whatever. And you keep doing it, your car is not going to work right. And he said, if worry doesn't change anything, why then do you worry? That is a real good question. If worry can't change something and will not, why do you worry? Now realize this, worry here seems to be a block to getting from God what he wants. Notice the next part. So why do you worry about your clothing? Consider the lilies. And he keeps telling you, consider these different things. How they grow. They neither toil nor spin. In other words, they're not laboring. And when you worry, boy, you get the wheels turning internally. And he, say, and he goes on to say in verse 29, And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Solomon had a bunch of stuff. Think about Solomon. God blessed him. Shows God's character. Now notice verse 30. Now if God, and think about it. He's talking about how God is good to plants and animals that were made for you. The earth and the fullness thereof was made to accommodate man. Not man accommodate the earth. That's the wacky part because now we're worshiping what was made. You know, when I say we, I mean the world is worshiping, making it an idol, what was made for you to accommodate you, humanity, because God cared for man before he ever put man here. He made provision in every area for man and not only provision, but pleasure. He didn't make everything black and white. He didn't make all the flowers black and white. He made them beautiful. 
and then he made them smell. Then he put snow on the mountains so people who like snow can go, whoa. And then he made the waves and so people who like waves can go, whoa, or whoa, dude. You know, whatever. And you think about it, he made all this stuff before he put you here, meaning humans. And he even said when he first made the gold in the garden before anybody ever needed to buy or sell, he put the gold in the garden. He said the gold was good and he put it there for man. And he extended his care. So if, if God's using examples of birds and how he feeds them, and I don't know about you, but when he brought the children of Israel out, when they were hungry, he sent them quail day after day. He fed them to feed them. And here, I mean, think about it. He makes flowers just so if you like flowers, you can pick some and put them on your table. Just so you can go, that's beautiful. If you think that's beautiful. Now, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown in the oven. In other words, it's used to start a fire. What if all the stuff that ever lived never died? What are you going to make a fire out of? And aren't even the seasons cool looking? And he makes these things and he said... And tomorrow these things are thrown into the oven. Will he not much more clothe you? Now he said life is more than this. But he said will he not do more? Will he not do this? How much more will he do this? Clothe you. O you of little faith or confidence in his ability and in his goodness. Therefore... Do not worry. Why did he tell you do not worry? Because worry won't change a thing. And notice this. If worry does not change a thing, why do you worry? Some of us were trained to worry. We had parents or grandparents that were like Olympic warriors. I mean, they were medalists. Gold, silver, repeat. I just read an article where one girl, I think, had like 40-something medals in something just recently. And, you know, we would think, man, well, if my family was there, we'd win all the worry medals. That's nothing to be proud of. But how many people are like that? And sometimes their parents didn't teach them. They just go to bed at night and they just worry and think about problems and focus on problems. I used to do that when I'd go to bed at night. I'd worry because I had to go turn in my homework the next day and I didn't do it. You know what? Worrying never did my homework for me. I just worry, 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 thinking, oh, my goodness. And then it got worse and worse, and now my grades are going down, and I just worry at night and stay awake, and I should have just got up and done my homework. But worry never did my homework. 
but I worried about it. I should have not worried. And this went, well, nothing's changing. But you train yourself. Hallelujah. And uh, in other words, you, what are you doing when you worry? You focus and imagine and picture things getting worse. Isn't it true? When you worry, you don't worry in words. Let me say that again. You don't worry in words when you worry. You worry in images and pictures. Thomas Edison was asked this one time, how is it that you have made all these inventions? And he said, I don't see in words, I see in pictures. That's how I do it. You know, uh, one minister, Oral Roberts, some of you know who that is, uh, he said as he would pray in the Spirit, the Lord showed him that Bible school and then showed him the architectural design of each of the buildings, from the prayer building, tower, to different things. He said, I saw all that, then I built it. I know, uh, heard the story about the guy who made the earth movers and different things like that. He was a Christian as he would pray in the Spirit and pray in tongues. And this is back in the 50s during the boom, you know, of construction after the Great Depression. And, he, you know, and even before then, he would pray and it, it, uh, earlier on, even in the Great Depression, and he would see a picture of like an, what an earth mover, he'd draw it and then they'd go design it. In other words, we don't always think in words. The things that drive us are the pictures that possess us. Children of Israel, God was extending himself to them, saying, I'm giving you the land, I'm giving you the land, go up at once. And what stopped them? The image they had of themselves. They said, we are but grasshoppers in their sight, so we are in our sight. They didn't factor God, they didn't factor his ability they could have said, we're smaller than grasshoppers, but it don't matter. But they, had, they weren't factoring in the abilities that were for them. And when I say factor it, I mean more than just thinking of a few words in Scripture, but allowing it to form an image in you where you start seeing yourself a different way. Because worry sees the problem getting worse. It, you don't worry in words. You worry in pictures. They're going to walk through the door and they're going to say this. This is going to come in the mail and that's it. My boss is going to come. You know, no offense to anybody here, but we've had some people come from churches where they have been abused. And I'll say, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? And they're like, oh, great, I'm in trouble. And I'm like, hey, could you help me with this? And they're like, oh, I thought I was in trouble. Why? That's a mental image. That's wrong. People have these images, and they are not God's design. God designed that there be nobody poor. People will be poor. But people see themselves as poor, believe it's their destiny to be poor. And I'm not trying to teach something weird, but there, if, if heaven will have no poor, 
then why should earth? Now, I understand we live in a fallen system and people can refuse. I'm convinced the reason the United States is as blessed as it is is because the gospel. Go read our history at the beginning. You with me? And watch places where the gospel has been allowed to run its course and the people begin to prosper. As a matter of fact, one of the neighborhoods we first met has changed dramatically. You know, when we met Sean and Nancy and were down there in Central America where the first church was built, that community has changed a bit. But, but the issue is, is God trying to get good? Yes. And he endeavors to make every land prosperous. Don't come here for our prosperity because our prosperity will disappear if we get rid of the God of the prosperity. Thank you for the excitement. Freedom of religion here is not so you can worship the devil, by the way. It's so that the church cannot be meddled in by the government. Period. Go read the documents. It wasn't so... Freedom of speech isn't so you can cuss. It's so you can share the gospel and speak without being restricted in certain areas of life. It's not so you can live wrong because our founding fathers had morality and had the Bible backing them. They didn't think that probably in 200-something years that freedom of speech would be used to be able to cuss any way you want to and treat people bad. Um, it's freedom. Of, isn't it wild? You're allowed to cuss with freedom of speech, but if you say something mean to me, that's hate. Well, isn't it freedom of all freedom of speech? No. It's because we don't know and we've forgotten what we were founded with. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Anyway, you ready? Therefore, verse 31, do not worry. Why not? Because worry doesn't change things. Somebody said it's hard not to worry. Because we're trained in unbelief. We're trained in doubt by living in the world. We're trained that God doesn't love you unless everything's just right. Therefore, you got to worry because you're going to have to do this on your own. But he said it won't work that way. Hey, if the, sink, if the ship is going to sink, we might as well be happy on the way down instead of worrying. But that's not what he's saying. He said, therefore, do not worry, verse 31, saying. When you worry so much that you start letting words out of your mouth, you're going to get yourself in trouble because the Bible said death and life are in that ability right there, in the power of your mouth. But the issue is, it's not just what you say, it's based on what's filling you. Notice, don't say, don't worry saying. Worry says something, faith says something, but isn't this interesting what he said, don't say. Don't worry about. Notice, therefore do not worry saying, what shall we eat? 
Now, there's a reason why he's saying this. What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Because he said, worry will not change what you eat, will not change what you drink or can drink. It, doesn't, it won't change any of these things, so don't worry saying it. So if you call worrying about it and saying something about it, that worry and declarations about what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? He said, you're worrying so much, you're saying, what am, what's going to... And it won't change it, it won't help. If these are the rules, God's trying to help. And if he does care for all these things, and he cares more about you than them, he's telling you, if worry doesn't change it, then why do you worry and say, what shall we eat? In other words, I can't afford that. I can't do that. What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Remember, if worry doesn't change it, he's saying worry will say this. Please don't get mad at me. I'm just repeating Jesus. Do you notice this written in red? If you have red in your Bible. One time a minister, some guy came to this minister and said, well, are you saying blah, blah, blah? He said, no, no, I was just quoting Jesus. But some people will fight to worry. But worry won't change anything. So if worry won't change anything, don't even worry to the degree where you start expressing it. Because he said, God cares about all these things, so don't worry. Like I said the other morning, if I'm not going to worry, then what am I going to do? Because people know nothing else. Then what am I going to do with all my free time if I'm not to worry? Then what am I going to do? Come on. But there's an issue here. Notice, therefore do not worry. Therefore in what context? In the context God cares that worry won't change things. Worry won't change your life. Therefore, do not worry. Saying, what will I eat? And these are the things people are worrying over. Don't do that. Notice verse 32. For after, let's go back and read 31 one more time. Therefore, do not worry. That's really what he's saying. And then worry gets expressed. And it's expressing the thing you're worrying over. Verse 32, for after all these things, the Gentiles seek or pursue. Now remember, life is more than that, but that's what they pursue. He didn't say they're not part of life. There's more to life than that. But they only pursue in life that. They haven't gone to the right thing. Their pursuit is limited. 
If that's all people are living for, then life is more than that. But that's what they go after. But somebody said, but I need that. Notice though, for after all these things the Gentiles seek or pursue, for your heavenly Father knows that you, not just the Gentiles, that you need all these things. He knows it. God, don't you know I need this right now? He knows it. Don't you know? Don't you care? Well, both of those are covered right here. Those are expressions of worry, and you are actually shutting off. He's trying to tell you how to get it flowing. Anything in your life. Worry is bad. What hindered people from walking in God's best when Jesus was on the earth? Worry and fear. Right? Peter's walking on the water till he got full of worry and fear. And there's other things. But seek, in other words, in other, other illustrations, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Don't start picturing problems that are out ahead. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In other words, don't start worrying about all kinds of stuff. Does God care about us? Is he for us? Well, what am I going to do if I don't worry? I'm going to have to realize God is attempting to get good into my life. I'm going to need to seek him first. I'm going to need to get my mind off of those problems and learn to not focus on lack and how am I going to get this, but I'm going to need to put God first Pursue him and know he'll add things to my life. If we want to unlimit him, we got to learn to uh, imagine correctly. Not focus on the problem and think what in the world, but start looking at his goodness. Start going beyond thinking in words of scripture and start seeing the scripture as a reality. When was the last time you imagined the Lord high and lifted up and ruling over your life? Well, I know I'm supposed to do that, but I'm worried. He wants to do good. 